This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast is brought to you by our presenting sponsor, Ponco Chicken. Ponco Chicken, if you did not already know, is a unique spin on Japanese and Western cuisine. Uh, there are stores, if you're not familiar, um, all around the Atlanta area. Uh, there's one in Marietta now. There's one in Buckhead. There's one in Shambly. There's one in uh, Midtown. They're popping up everywhere because Ponco is awesome and uh, they're like family. So um, go check out Ponco if you have not already. It is the home of the award-winning Japanese American Chicken Tender. Just to brag on them a little bit more, they were Verizon Super Bowl Live top-selling vendor, three-peat Taste of Atlanta award winner, uh, Midtown Alliance best taste winner. Just they won all the awards because Ponco is great and Ponco is delicious. So if you are in the Atlanta area and are looking to try something new and good and delicious, go check out Ponco Chicken today and tell them that I sent you over. Uh, also, if you have not already, go check out chasemonspodcast.com. It's where all of my episodes to all of my podcasts are, all of my writing that I do, uh, more information on me and who I am um, and why you should be listening to this podcast and reading my work and all of that great stuff. Go do that. Go to Chase Thomas Podcast today. If you're an Apple podcast listener, go ahead and leave me five stars and a rating and a review. That's great. I need it. Um, it helps the show continue to grow and all of that good stuff. Um, you can listen on SoundCloud, Spotify, like I said, Apple, Google Play, everywhere where you can get your podcast. The Chase Thomas Podcast will be there. So go do that today. Um, all right. I think that's everything. We can get into today's episode. Uncle Darren, let's go. Chase Thomas Podcast. The Chase Thomas Podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I, hate, I already hate it. I hate it. All right. Welcome back to a Tuesday night edition of the Chase Thomas Podcast. First timer, Section Ooh. 10, Barstool, Jared Carabas is here. Jared, good evening. How are you? What's going on? How are we doing? I'm good. As we were talking about before we get started, um, we're both really sick, yeah. which uh, is also um, how a lot of Red Sox fans are feeling and uh, a lot of uh, Astro fans are feeling, but not the Astros players. They're feeling great. They're uh, ready to win it all again as the underdogs that everyone is going to position them as. So good for them. Yeah, that was uh, a little hard for me to digest because, uh, you know, it's I, – I, I get what Bregman did, and I know that, like, I'm going to get crushed for, like, defending Bregman but not Altuve, but, like – Bregman was just giving non-answers. Like he, you know, he's he's obviously got the league and his team and lawyers in his ear, being like, "Hey, just shut up! Like, don't say anything." But Altuve being like, "Yeah, it's us against the world." It's like, no, dude. Like, you guys, it's not allegations anymore. Like, you got caught cheating. Like, you, right. like, it's proven. Like, you got caught. So, like, there isn't. You can't play the the us against the world card when like it's not like we're out to get you. The world is out to get you. The the league is out to get you like no like you were cheating you got caught and now you're penalized for that 
um it's a weird spot for guys like that so i do i will say i i'm not envious of the position that they're in um where it's like what are they like if you're going into the season knowing what just happened like you're getting a new manager new front office everything is just shit around you and you you know people are gonna hate you like it's just i don't know how i would wrap my mind around it to get psyched up for the season so you just kind of have to like create your own narrative you have to like live in a different world to get through it because i think if they operate any other way it's just demoralizing you're like i don't want to go to work today this sucks yeah yeah i mean it's uh it's i definitely don't envy you know i mean like what that's why you know it'd be interesting to see who the astros pick as a manager because um you know, you obviously want a guy that's going to be able to come in there and take bullets for you. That's why, you know, with the Red Sox, I think their investigation isn't really going to turn up much. But the the Astros one is proven. So, like, you're going to be asked about that all year. And, um, like, you're going to need a manager to come in and take bullets for you. And that's probably, I mean, like, Buck Showalter would be a great fit over there. He just keeps popping back up. I thought he was done. Is he just never 100% done? He's never done. He's, he's one of those guys that uh, it's just never it's never over. And I mean, he's a great manager. I mean, like, you, you know, you talk to the guys that play for him and, you know, there's this train of thought where it's just a new time. It's a new generation and younger players don't respond to that old school method anymore. But, you know, you talk to Manny Machado and he would he would swear by, you know, Buck Showalter as a manager. And I think that Buck is one of those guys that has adapted to the times and he's not like the guy that he was in the Bronx back in the day. I think he, he knows that he needs to adapt and he has, and I don't know. I think that that would be an interesting fit. Yeah. We'll have to see. Um, a lot of pieces still to fall in Houston. Um, but a team you're very familiar with the Boston Red Sox. Um, (coughs) this is the thing that I am most interested, uh, going on with not really the chorus stuff and everything else, but it's more about like, who do you think is responsible for like the Mookie leaks like that? That is something that I think about a lot with stuff like this, where it keeps popping up every now and then. Like, who do you think is like the Arenado stuff? We have a pretty good idea where that's coming from. Um, Chris Bryant, like there are certain superstars where you're like, okay, I can see why they're putting this out there or what uh, the team or the player and their agent are thinking. Who do you think is trying to really position this narrative right now with Mookie and attaching David Price and a trade and all this stuff and what he's going to ask for. Where where do you think that's coming from? Um, I mean, I'm sure part of it is coming from the Red Sox because, um, you know, if Mookie wants to stay, I mean, there's really been no indication that Mookie wants to leave Boston. I think he's just trying to play hardball uh, you know, his, he has people in his ear telling him that Mike Trout money is out there. I don't think that it is. Um, but you know, if you're, if you're the Red Sox, you know, you're like, well, you know, you're pricing yourself out here. And if you don't want to, you know, talk extension, then we, you know, our hands are tied. And I understand the Red Sox. I understand both sides of it. Like the Red Sox can't get nothing from Mookie. That would be, that would be ridiculous. Um, and Mookie has kind of been, uh, consistent with his stance that he wants to go to free agency. And if the Red Sox feel like they're not going to be able to contend in 2020, then what are you holding on to an asset like Mookie Betts for? Um, and I don't know. I mean, like I, I still kind of look at the Red Sox as, as a very unknown commodity because you look at 2018, you look at 2019 and you had the, the winningest team in franchise history. And then you had a very mediocre in the middle team in 2019. And it's like, okay, well, you know, who's to say that the 2020 team can't be somewhere in the middle, you know, I mean like that they could, 
I don't. The Yankees are probably going to be a runaway train for the division, but who's to say the Red Sox can't challenge Tampa for a wild card spot or something like that? Um, but yeah, I mean, if you do end up trading Mookie Betts, then that is sort of a uh, not a white flag, but it's definitely a um, an acknowledgement that the Red Sox aren't going for it in in 2020. Um, so yeah, I, I think it'll be interesting to see how because I I don't, I don't think that. Mookie Betts being traded before opening day is is off the table. I still think that that's a realistic option. I don't think it's a likely option, but it still it still could very well happen. That would be insane. That would um. And I just what do Red Sox fans think? Like with you interacting with them and seeing how they have responded to the Mookie trade rumors, are they all just perplexed? Are some okay with an idea of not trading him? Are there some okay with him just walking and finding a better deal? What is the general sentiment surrounding Mookie? Yeah, I think that there's uh, there's sort of like um, like a Venn diagram almost where uh, there's some fans that are like, keep them. Why aren't you keeping them? There's some fans that are like, we get it. Um, and then there's other fans that are like, well, we get why you would have to, but it's crazy that this it's even come to this. Uh, I'm I'm in the middle there where, you know, if they were to trade Mookie Betts, I I get it. You know, they ha- they have to get under the luxury tax threshold to avoid paying a hundred million dollars in uh penalties and also the you know their their draft picks being you know bumped down but who's to say that the investigation won't you know take like take away their draft picks anyway like they might be in a in a bad spot draft pick wise regardless so you know if they get put if if they kind of have to chalk up a loss for the next couple drafts or whatever because of whatever penalties they get um maybe that sort of changes the perspective on whether or not they would trade Mookie Betts because if you still you know you could you could say all right like our next couple of drafts are in you know, in rough shape. Um, but you know, if, if we want to go for it again in 2020, then we have to pay an extra hundred million dollars, which it, you know, that's not feasible, but, um, you know, Why it's sure. not feasible. Uh, I mean, you, you know, you're paying an extra hundred million dollars, you know, it's, if you're, if you're John Henry, uh, which again, you know, John Henry's a guy, he's an owner that has never been afraid to open up the checkbook. And right. there are, fans that are saying you know oh the red sox are being cheap because they're trying to get under the luxury tax threshold they're not cheap i mean they're they're always in the top uh if not the number one in teams that are spending on their payroll year to year um but to shell out let's say 230 million on your payroll and then have to pay another 100 million on top of that i mean if you're an owner you probably want to avoid that which is what they're attempting to do but they've kind of gone back and forth they've kind of said uh, you know, on one hand, they're like, well, you know, we're, we're trying to get under the luxury tax. Like that's, that's the goal. And then they'll, they'll walk it back and be like, that's not a necessity, you know, like, it'd be nice if we could do that, but like, we don't have to do that. So I don't know. I, I honestly, I don't know, uh, what their, their mindset is right now. I'm sure, I'm sure Heim Bloom is, is looking at, you know, the task at hand and being like, what did I get myself into? Like, this is not, uh, I mean, he he obviously knew what he was getting his, himself into somewhat when when he signed up for this because it's not um, this is not a situation that just popped up this offseason. We kind of knew that it was coming. You know, the the last game of the season, you know, Mookie Betts was the winning run for a walk off at home. It was the final game of the season, and you know, a lot of us were wondering was that the last time we're going to see Mookie Betts? So like, this is not a new situation. Um, 
but the Red Sox stance in terms of are we getting under the luxury tax threshold? Uh, is this something that we need to do? Is this something that we just like to do? Uh, they've kind of gone back and forth on that. Do you think if Dombrowski doesn't move on and like he's still running things over the next year that there's a much better chance Mookie's still on this team? Um, I, you know, I, I think that the situation is probably the same. Okay. Um, that was just something I, I've been thinking about with just who he's paid and how he, how he operates and just like bringing in somebody like Bloom from Tampa. It, yeah. it gave me the sense that like, Oh, there, <laughs> this is something where it's like, if you want to bring in someone who's going to get a lot of prospect capital for one of the five best players in baseball. Sure. I mean, like this makes a lot more sense than having Dombrowski go through a rebuild. Um, he's the guy to pay, like to bring in for a championship, which he did. He's mm-hmm. the guy you bring in for the long haul. Yeah. Uh, I think Dombrowski did his job. I, I think Dombrowski was brought in and, you know, the Red Sox had the money to spend. Um, there were free agents out there. You know, at the time, David Price uh, was basically saying, you know, like, I want to go to a place where I'm appreciated by all the fans, not just some of the fans. And he was indirectly saying, like, I don't want to go to the Red Sox. You know, like he, he I think he said in the same story, like, you know, when I when something happens on Twitter and like there's mean things being said on my Twitter, I already know that they're Red Sox fans. Like he wasn't going to come to Boston without Dave Dombrowski. Dombrowski was the link, obviously, because of their time together in Detroit. Um, so, you know, Dombrowski served his purpose. The Red Sox felt like if we're going to, uh, if we got our championship in 2018, which, you know, Dombrowski had his fingerprints all over that, uh, and we want to start trying to put together the next Red Sox core, we don't think that Dombrowski is the guy for that. Dombrowski is more of a, you know, aggressive in free agency, aggressive with trades when he has prospects to, to, to deal from. Um, Heim Bloom is more of a find value where no one else sees it type guy, uh, do more with less type guy. And that's the situation that the Red Sox are in now. Um, there's also a theory that Dombrowski was fired because the Red Sox knew about, uh, you know, the Astros and Red Sox stuff was coming and they wanted to get out in front of it. I don't know if I believe that because I mean, what's the difference if you fire, you know, Dombrowski and and Cora at the same time, I guess, because you can have Heim Bloom have a head start. Um, on on what they want him to do, uh, but I, I think I'm more leaning towards like you know Dombrowski was the right man for the job. Um, I, I think the timing of it was sketchy. You know they just fire him on a Sunday night baseball at like midnight in September. I feel like that yeah. could have waited until the end of the season. The timing of it was sketchy, so maybe there's more to it than that. Um, but in terms of like on the surface, do I agree with what they did? Yeah, I mean, um. Do I, I think with Boston Sports Journal about that timing? I forgot. Was it Sean? Oh, what what is his last name? Sean Sean McAdam. Yes. So I was talking to him months ago about like when that happened, and I remember him telling me something like that was something. <laughs> there was a lot of backroom stuff going on with the Dabrowski late night fire. Like there were other layers that like uh, they could not go into, but there was some weird stuff. In yeah, I, I, I heard yeah. other stuff being like. Um, you know, he he was kind of left hanging. Like he was looking for an extension. Yeah. Uh, like he was trying to get an extension because he wanted to know, like, you know, what's my future? Mm. And they were either giving him non-answers and then it was finally like, yeah, like, you know, like, I, where's my extension? The season's almost over. And then they were just like, yeah, we're not bringing you back. And it's like, all right, well, if you're not bringing me back, then fire me now. And that makes more sense to me than the Astro stuff and coordinating the dots of like the cheating and getting out in front of stuff and stuff like that. That makes yeah. more sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure it's a mixture of all of the above. You know, it's 
you know, if you have that information, if you're the Red Sox and you know that uh, this is going to be coming down the pipeline in the offseason, then, you know, you're not going to give them an extension and you're not just going to, you know, keep saying, you know, we don't have one for you. I don't know what to tell you. I mean, like Dabrowski eventually is going to see the writing on the wall. Maybe he just resigned. I don't know. Um, so it could be a combination of all all the things that we just discussed. But, um, yeah, I, 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 know, I know that he he tends to be aggressive in his spending and maybe – uh, the negotiations in regards to an extension play out differently with Dabrowski versus Heim Bloom. Um, but at the end of the day, anytime you're talking about big time money, which Mookie Betts would be big time money, presumably the biggest contract in Red Sox history, it, it's really not in Dabrowski or Heim Bloom's hands. Like that's a John Henry decision. It's it's his money. It's his it's his uh, decision to sign off on. So if John Henry's like, we have a number in mind. Um, we're not going to exceed that number for Mookie Betts. This is our valuation of him. Uh, and they've already floated that number to him. And it's not what he thinks is is his true value. Then the Red Sox are an organization that uh, historically have been able to move on when a player thinks that they're worth more uh, than the number that the Red Sox feel comfortable with. If you had to guess, and we're still pretty far out, what his next contract looks like, what would you actually guess? Um... I would say I would say it's probably going to be somewhere in the region of like 10 years 350 million something like, like that um which is it could crazy be, he's only 26 that would take him to 36 Oh uh yeah I mean it's it could be 12 like it could be yeah. I know that there are you know, like there's like the anonymous general managers that are like, yeah, like I'd give him 10 years, $350 million right now. So I think that market has the potential to heat up. Um, but he's got to, you know, he's got to have a, a, a very good year this year because, you know, Mookie Betts won the MVP in 2018, uh, 2016. He was the runner up, but those are his standout seasons outside of that. It's like, you know, he's a very good player, but if you want to knock on the door of Mike Trout money, uh, then you've got to do it every year. That's why Mike Trout is Mike Trout. I mean, he Mm -hmm. doesn't have down years. He kind of just, you know, he has a historically great season and then he follows it up by besting that. And Mookie bets to this point, um, has had the two outstanding seasons, um, and, you know, you've got to you've got to do 2018 every single year if you want Mike Trout money. So uh, that's why I think it'll it'll 400 be somewhere between like 350 and 380, something like that. What about Benatendi? <clears throat> what what happened this past year? Very league average batting 100 WRC plus last time I checked. Like, yeah, he's coming up. How wh- what does that look like? What does this year mean for him? He like we talk about Mookie needing a big year. But Ben Attendee seems like another candidate who really needs to have a strong 2020. Yeah. I mean, it would be nice if he did, but, you know, Ben Attendee's not really a guy that people are being like, well, if Ben Attendee sucks, then the team sucks. I mean, it, you yeah. know, when, when he goes, the team goes. Um, you know, he's definitely a, a great table setter when he's on, a uh, great on base guy, uh, a good defender and left field being a former, you know, collegiate center fielder. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was not it was not a great year for him. Uh, I don't I don't know that he's been asked why. Uh, I would like to hear the answer to that question, um, because that's a guy that when he came up, it was like, oh wow, Dustin Pedroia reincarnated. Like this is mm-hmm. a guy that's going to be really pesky at the top of the order. You know, not in the MVP conversation like a Mookie Betts is going to be. Um, 
but he is, you know, like he's like the at his best is one of the ideal number one, number two hitters in an American League lineup. So, um, yeah, it was a disappointing season for him. But I don't think because I, I, you know, I sometimes tune into Boston sports radio. I try not to make a habit out of it because they're super <laughs> negative. Uh, but you know, there's there's some people back in Boston that are like, yeah, we've already seen his best season, and I just don't. I don't know how you can have that line of thinking when, you know, this guy was, he, he was drafted in the first round and in the big leagues within a year and he skipped triple a, it's like, you know, you have to expect some hiccups along the way. Just be thankful that he didn't have those hiccups when the Red Sox were in the middle of winning a championship. I mean, he was a big piece of that in 2018. Um, so yeah, I, I think that 2019 we'll be able to look back on that as a hiccup. Um, but yeah, I, I still think that we haven't seen the best of Benintendi yet. How well did you get to know Alex Cora? Very well. Um, very well. That was a guy. Um, so when he first got hired, I mean, Alex and I had exchanges on Twitter uh, years before he got hired because he was managing Ruzne Castillo Um in Puerto Rico, I think it was maybe the Caribbean series or Puerto Rico, one of those. Uh, it was a winter league, and we were going back and forth on Ruzne on Twitter, and uh, you know those conversations went from public to private. Like, hey, here's my number, blah blah blah. Like, we wanted to have him on the podcast, um, and then he had a relationship with Dallas Braden and Justin Havens, my co-host and producer for Starting Nine. So when he got hired, we had him on Starting Nine almost immediately, and uh, after the interview. I, I reached out and I was like, Hey, um, I was like, like I have press passes. Um, but I don't go to the press conferences. I just go to BP and I just go to like, you know, like I just, I'm on the field. I'm not in the clubhouse or anything like that. So would it be cool if I texted you throughout the year? Like if I have questions about anything and he was like, yeah, you know, anything, any questions that you have, you know, just let me know. So that became like the beginning of, you know, 2018, like we're talking every single day, you know, we're talking, even if I don't have questions, like we're just, you know, after every single game, um, you know, we're talking about things that happen in the game. Like he would read my stories. I remember like one time I posted a blog about a story, a, like a game story and he texted me, it was up for maybe five minutes and he was like, Hey, uh, you said something here, but it was actually this, and he would like mm. correct things. Um, so he, he pays attention to the, like the stuff that I was putting out. And then we had the, the interview on section 10 he did in 2018. Um, there would be times where, uh, you know, he would reach out because like, yes, I cover the team, but he knows that I'm a fan. He knows that like, I care about the outcomes of these games and in, in the Red Sox organization. Um, there would be times where, uh, something bad would happen with the Red Sox and like, you know, me thinking, you know, oh damn, like that was, that was a rough night. He, you know, Cora probably doesn't want to talk. I'm not going to bug him. I'm going to back off. I'm going to give him some space. And then if I didn't reach out to him, he would reach out to me first and be like, relax, everything's good. This is, yeah, like he, he would, you know, cause he would know, like if, if I go silent, then it's like, oh shit, like he probably thinks like this, you know, he doesn't, you know, I don't want to talk or anything like that. Be like, everything's good. We got this, we got this, this, and this lined up and, you know, we're fine. And yeah, I mean, he, he was great. I mean, like, I, that's why, um, 
that's why he's great, you know, because like he, if he's doing that with me, what is he doing with his players? You know, like uh, I've interviewed multiple guys that have had John Farrell and Alex Cora as their manager in Boston. And I, I asked them, you know, what's the biggest difference? And they all come back to one thing, and that's communication. It's, you know, a guy like Brock Holt. Hey, you're going to be in the lineup tomorrow. Be ready versus under John Farrell. It's like you show up to the ballpark. You don't you don't know like the the at bat in the World Series with Eduardo Nunez where he he pinch hit for him um i think it was kershaw that started um so he but but cora still went with devers he still went with the lefty and you know later in the game he's like hey you know they're going to be stocking up their lefties for later on so you know if this situation comes up like he had the foresight to be like hey if 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 alex wood the lefty comes in in relief later in the game i'm pinch hitting you like he let eduardo nunez know when he was going to pinch hit, what pitch, what pitcher he was going to pinch hit for, and the game hadn't even started yet. Eduardo Nunez pinch hits against Alex Wood, and he hits a home run. The Red Sox win the game. So that's why, uh, it, like I've heard other people be like, managers aren't that big of a deal. They just, you know, the the uh, analytics department makes the lineup, and it's not that hard to be like, this guy I want that guy to the bullpen or whatever. But it's that's just not true. Um, you know, we another guy. I think it was Nunez said in the same interview. Um, we were asking him about the differences between Farrell and Cora. And he was like, when I first got there in 2016, you know, I, I, am in like the, like the, the, the cafeteria area and we're sitting down and we're eating and it's just like this awkward tension in the air that you can, that you can feel. And he's like, we're in first place. Right. And they were like, yeah, yeah, we're in first place. Um, Cora changed that entirely. Like he came in there and like, it was fun. It was a fun environment. Everyone was loose. The Red Sox were winning and you could tell that they were winning. You could, you could feel that they were a great team. Uh, so it's things like that, that I think this team is going to miss, uh, without him, um, beyond the communication. It's just like that overall environmental change that, that he brought with him. Do you think he ever gets another manager job? I think, I think there's a chance the Red Sox bring him back, you know? Really? Uh, yeah, I think, you know, I think it largely depends on what the investigation into the 2018 team shows because the way that I look at it is, you know, you get a guy popped for PEDs. He sits out 80 games, he comes back, and then they just go. And then a guy gets suspended for domestic violence, a role as Chapman, and he gets, he, he's got to sit out for whatever it was, 30 games. And he sits those out, he comes back, and then he just goes. So the big knock on Alex Cora would be like, well, he's, he's a cheater. He cheated. So who's to say that if you just bring him back, that he won't just cheat again. It's the same thing. You get a guy, get a, get suspended for PEDs. Who's to say he won't do him again. You know, who's to say that Aroldis Chapman domestic violence again, like you just, you know, you, you, you have a, you have this mistake or you have this lapse in judgment or you have this infraction and you serve your time and then you come back from that. You know, it's it. That's just how it works, and I don't know why a manager would be exempt from that. And I, I look at the Red Sox situation right now, where you know they might have Ron Renicky as their manager, who's been you know mulling over retirement. So it's not even like you'd bring in Renicky to manage, and then oh, now we got to fire him to bring back Alex Cora. It's almost a perfect situation. You have you have Jason Veritek as your bench coach. This is a guy that's been in the organization forever. Like he knows the ins and outs. Um, he can be your bench coach. So that you know Ron Renicky was the bench coach last year. You have him slide up to be the manager. If Alex Cora gets a two-year ban, all right, Renicky, you you manage the team for two years. 
Cora just slides right back in and then you retire. That's what you wanted anyway. So it almost lines up too perfectly. Um, I just think, I don't, I don't know if that's what's going to happen, but it would make a lot of sense if that's what did happen. And I'd love to see that happen. Interesting. I didn't really consider it. They were just gonna be like, no, we'll ride this out and we'll see what yeah. happens down the line. Um, yeah. that would be, that would be fascinating. Um, so if the Pedroia stuff, like his contract, looking at what he's got, um, for the yeah. next couple of years and his stuff just sucks. It's like David Wright in Boston. It's just yep. really shitty and yep. a really just shitty way to go about, go out. Um, if this is it, but he's got several more years left on his deal. You have a Valdi, that contract's not looking great. You have David Price, who had a great year. Like the way people talk about David Price, I don't think they realize what he actually did in they sure 2019. Didn't. Like yep. the way they talk about him is very strange. <laughs> like he's not this like just bad asset that you have to attach to a trade. It's like, no, he was he was really good last year. He was just mm-hmm. on a team that didn't make the playoffs. Like that was it. Right. Like the team yep. just wasn't as good around him. Yep. He wasn't Rick Porcello. That is a bad starting pitcher now. That is uh not who statistically the worst. Like. Yeah. <laughs> um I don't know. I wonder how much of that plays into um, the Mookie stuff and just the questions with the Red Sox and spending is just those three contracts, but more so anything, just paying Pedroia, paying Evaldi, and um, now paying JD Martinez, who is in a really weird spot because he signed on with this group um, to contend, and he was, it, it just feels like he's kind of out of place. So when we talk about guys where they're in a weird spot, it's like if the Red Sox are really going to reposition themselves, get under the tax, all that kind of stuff he doesn't make a lot of sense there. Um, I don't know. I, I think it's interesting. Their salaries and just looking at certain contracts and like how that's affected their future. Yeah. I mean the, the whole David price thing too, you know, you see like what guys like Garrett Cole are getting and you know, Price's contract doesn't look so bad now. And especially, you know, if you, if you're going to trade David price, you, you ideally the goal would be to unload the full 96 million over three years. But um, if you eat like 36 million of that and you make his average annual value 20 million, like that's, that's valuable, uh, to, to teams that missed out on Garrett Cole, Dallas Keuchel, guys like that. Um, but yeah, I, I, I agree with you that price definitely gets looked at under a, a very strange microscope with, with Boston fans and media. And I don't, I don't really understand that there was the injury last year. So I guess, you know, if you look at, uh, you know, he's had some big time injury scares over the last few years. And if anything, like that's kind of the thing that you would kind of balk at. Um, but in terms of the performance, I mean, price, price was, price was really good. I mean, he had some bad stretches, but you know, what pitcher doesn't, I mean, if you don't, then you're in the Cy Young conversation. Um, but yeah, I, that's why I think, you know, we were talking earlier about the expectations for the 2020 team. They still have a good team. I mean, it's still a good rotation. It's still a good bullpen. It's still one of the best offenses in baseball. They're very good defensively. Uh, it's just kind of, they didn't do anything this offseason, so they didn't get better. So if you didn't get better than what you were last year, then are you worse? You know, like, are you worse than you were last year when you when you didn't make the playoffs? But the bottom line is that that team was good enough to make the playoffs. They just didn't get it done on the field uh, for whatever reason that may be. So, um yeah, I, I, that's why I, I'm I'm going into 2020 with virtually no expectations. You know, if if they're if they're not that great, then it's like, well, what did you expect? You know, they weren't that great last year, and they didn't do anything to get better. And if they are great, or they're even like mildly competitive, or they're good, then it's like, well, yeah, that makes sense. They they have a lot of the same pieces that were the winningest team in franchise history from 2018. Yeah, I um I think it'll be 
it'll be interesting. And just the AL just feels weirdly forgot. Like just a foregone conclusion that the Yankees are just gonna run run away with things. Like it's yeah. just it it seems very it's just so imbalanced. It feels like in the AL versus the NL, where there's still a lot of questions. We can see so many different teams go so many different ways. Um, which brings me to my question. Um, the Braves, the team, not the team I am very familiar with, um, signed Ozuna today, and one year, eighteen million, another yep. one year deal. Braves love getting those one year deals. Um, don't want to yeah, lock anybody up long term. Got to do those yep. one one at a time, and then if mm-hmm. they can uh, underpay their superstars in shady deals, they definitely love that as well. Like, yep. love to lock up Albies and Acuna with some insane contracts. Um, mm-hmm. That's why I was so surprised that they weren't more aggressive on Donaldson. And from what I understand, you know, like we were talking about Josh Donaldson making a hundred million, 115 million was thrown around. Then he signs for the 92. And, um, from what I understand, the Braves weren't even close to the 92, which I I don't know how. Yeah. Um, I don't know how you can lock up your superstar Acuna to a hundred million dollars and Albie's, you know, that that deal is is burglary. It is a robbery. Uh, what he got paid for his his services over the next few years of you know arbitration, you you know you avoid all that and some free agency. Uh, it seemed like they had the money to to pay Donaldson, and they were just like, eh, nah, we're we're good. I mean, and and maybe maybe that's true. You know, maybe that's true that uh, their offense is good enough, and they didn't need to splurge on on retaining Donaldson. Um, I personally would have liked to have seen uh, the Braves make some more moves for their rotation. Um, I feel like that's well. No, we got of... thirty-seven in the pipeline, so it's fine. And as you know, right. starting pitchers um, they always work out. Um, pipeline pitchers, as the Yankees sure. have done over the last thirty years, where they've had exactly um, <clears throat> one pitcher work out um, from their pipeline. I think. I think mm-hmm. that's how yeah. it works. Pretty um, much. <laughs> like it's just. There was, I had Domino, a uh, sports radio guy in Atlanta um, on last week, and he said something. I think it was, it was either Maddox or one of the Braves pitchers told him it was just like, if you have 10 pitchers in your farm system, you really got two. And that's just being, yeah. it's like, if you have 10, you have two. And if you have mm-hmm. five, you have one or zero. And the Braves have a lot. Ian Anderson, they have a lot of guys. But like, you see how easy it is for that narrative to change. Cause like Kobe Allard, just gone. Like just another piece, yep. the fodder piece in the Rangers deal. And you're like, oh, this was a guy that people were talking up for three years because the unknown prospect capital is very annoying. And it's just like, mm-hmm. oh, Tuki Toussaint, great. Number one overall pick when we fleece Dave Stewart. It's like Dansby Swanson, number one overall pick. He's going to like, no, he's going to bat eighth for 10 years. He's okay. He's fine. Yeah. Where it's is just... Shelby Miller now? Where is Shelby Miller at? Um, that's a good question. Is he back in St. Louis? I feel like he went back. Am I, I don't wrong? Know. He bounced around. I think I he no recently idea. just signed a minor league deal somewhere. His body is just, he should not be playing baseball anymore. It's borderline just malfeasance at this point. Um, He is, I don't see him. He's a free agent. He has yeah. not signed anywhere. Um, is he? It's, uh, it. I don't know. Um, the Shelby stuff is just weird. Um, but did you do you like the signing for the Braves? Do you do you like Ozuna um, in Atlanta? So the thing with with Ozuna, um, <clears throat> I love the pillow contract. I love the idea of the one year deal because I mean he's not that far removed from um, <clears throat> the 2017 season that he had with the Marlins, where if you remember, I mean John Carlos Stanton. 
been MVP candidate that year. I mean, he would have been the the obviously, uh, and that was that outfield had Christian Yelich, who was going to win the MVP the next year, Stanton, who won the MVP that year, and then Ozuna had a monster season for them uh, in 2017. So, you know, when a guy the one year deal, uh, when I'm I don't I haven't read it anywhere, but I'm pretty sure that this is a guy that more than likely had was fielding multi from your deal. That's a guy that's betting on himself. I think, uh, maybe, you know, he was probably fear offers, but wasn't getting renewal value that he felt he was worth. So, you know, he picks a team that division champions and ends up in Atlanta and he's, he's got a bet on yourself type season coming up, which I think is that that can only end well for the Braves. Or maybe not because you know, you know, it's hard to do win these veteran signings back-to-back years. Like, the Donaldson thing, it, it was great now, but it was um, a huge question mark. He had been or maybe not. In two years previous. Like, I just... You don't know. Like, these guys are huge risks. That's why they're one-year deals. That's why they're out there. They're just... They're question marks. You really don't know until it actually happens, but then it's like hindsight's twenty twenty, and you're like, oh, yeah, you nailed it. Like, the DJ LeMahieu stuff. Thingies didn't have any idea that this was going to happen for him in New York. Like, you just... Those guys, there's just a I don't even was he even in the them. lineup on opening day? I don't think so. They, they signed him as like a like, yeah, they thought that he was gonna be this guy. They were like, Yeah, like we signed DJ LeMayhew, and then when Didi's healthy, then back to second. And you know, you've got you know, they were still hoping that Andahar was gonna be their third baseman next year. Where does that put DJ LeMayhew? They were probably thinking, like, yeah, we might just trade the guy, and then he ends up being one of the most valuable players on on their team. Yeah, it, it was it was ridiculous. Um, last thing, and then we'll wrap up here. Uh, Nolan Arenado, things are not great with him in Colorado. Yeah. He is annoyed that Colorado has done no. exactly nothing. If it, One of my favorite things is go to ESPN.com transaction, re, recent transactions for the Rockies um, since the end of the season. You're like, mm-hmm. oh, I can see why he's upset. It's not great. Um, yeah. No. But to be fair, I guess not, it's not even really to be fair. It's like, Oh, I see why it's when you look at the Red Sox contracts, there are certain ones you look at and you go, oh, well, maybe the previous regime should not have given Wade Davis that contract. Maybe paying uh, Ian Desmond was not a great yeah. idea. You look at some of these contracts, you're like, they spent, they just spent on the wrong people. Like a lot of these teams, they spent money. They just spent it on the wrong guys. And now they're just hamstrung for a couple of years because they invested poorly. And it was just, but I think we all ripped them at the time, right? We were all like, ugh, what is that Desmond contract? Ugh, what is that Wade Davis contract? Why are they signing so many relievers in Coors Field? I remember that whole offseason storyline being like, what are the Rockies doing? Have they forgotten? Yeah, to play they, in they literally what just. What is this? Right. They just went all in on relievers one offseason and uh, it didn't work out. But, uh, you know, they had the the wild card game in 17 and then they get swept in the division series in 18 and then in 19, they lose 91 games. So it's like you look at a guy like Nolan Arenado, who probably could have made a little bit more if, if he went to the free agent market versus the 260 million that he signed. After he signed that extension, he was like. I'm in it. Uh, I'm here to win, and I'm sure that in in the conference that Nolan had with the Rockies during those negotiations, that you know, he was probably promised, like, "Hey, like, listen, we're building around you. Like, we're gonna we're gonna try to build a winning culture. We're gonna build on you know, like every year we're taking a step forward. We were in the wild card game, then we're in the division series. Next year we'll be in the NS, and they lose 91 games. So, um, 
there are other reasons why Nolan is upset and feels disrespected. And I know that the story says that, uh, he's not going to get into details, but, um, yeah, I mean, like that's a guy that obviously has a fractured relationship with the office that employs him. So, uh, signing this extension in good faith with a no trade clause where he wanted to be in Colorado. And then less than a year later, they're shopping him. And I would probably be pissed if it's like, yeah, like I'm, I took less to stay in Colorado. And then less than a year later, you're shopping me to these other teams. When you know that a, I wanted to be here. B, you told me that you were going to build a winning team around me hold no trade clause like i i don't have to go wherever you get the best offer for me like i'm not the colorado the best trade package for me um and if you have a player that just wants to value loss there for, for on the Rockies side of things. So I'll, I'd be interested to see, you know, how much longer he actually is there or, you know, to come out, you know, uh, we didn't, we felt great about. So Nolan's our third baseman for moving forward. And then you have Nolan coming out being like, you know, I, I feel really disrespected by those people over there. <clears throat> so, I think, you know, if if it's not this offseason, that's going to come up again at the trade deadline. You know, I, I think the Rockies really have to look at this being like, hey, this is kind of on us. Yeah. So sure. faith, uh, you know, we gave him the no trade clause and he probably took a little bit less. Yeah, I um, Yeah, no. And I just. I think ultimately they can still salvage this offseason. Like Scooter Jeanette is still out there who seems like a good Colorado option. Like those random guys, you throw him back in there and then put him in cores for a full season. Like he was an MVP candidate a couple years ago and now he's just out. And I don't know. I would not bet on it, but there's like crazier things have happened than Scooter Jeanette having a big year in Colorado. Um, Corey Dickerson was someone out there that they could have signed for left field because Tapio is just awful arguably their are their worst fielder i mean their worst batter last year and he had like a 73 wrc plus and he's penciled in as the left fielder this year that's not good doll and blackman are fine in center and right but like right and then first base mitch moreland a guy you're very familiar with he's still available he had a good season like that's an yeah. easy thing that you could add and have him in cores like they can do these easy fixes i think to appease him at least for one more season like there are guys still out there that they could go out and get an afford. Like if they want to say, well, we can't afford the big names. Like it's fine. Like Gannett is not getting a big contract. Like you could have gotten Dickerson. He got like a, what, two year deal. Um, just a really modest one. And he's just awesome. He's still 30 and he just feels like he's been underappreciated for forever now. Um, I just, I think there are guys that they could still go out and get and really make things easier, but he's looking around to it. Like the Dodgers aren't going anywhere. The, the, just the, the NL is just getting more and more, difficult the nl east is just a bloodbath um the nl central um is going to be extremely competitive i think again this year and then you have the west where the dimebacks aren't blowing it up the padres are still going for it the giants haven't blown it up yet they're still trying to figure stuff out and the dodgers are awesome so he's just looking around like we finished fourth last year and we're acting like things are fine and trevor story is gonna be awesome and like we're just gonna progress and it's like well 
I I understand, and I just I I'm very fascinated to see what happens here. Um, right. Also, Braves, get involved. Get involved. It's okay. I don't want Camargo uh, on opening day. Get involved. Right. Yep. It's uh. Yeah. I mean, there's it's it's very interesting. I just hope that at the end of the day, that this isn't just like a a, a layup championship for the Yankees, where they just steamroll everyone they go to the world series and it's not even like a challenge like i i would like to see a team like how how the brave did eventually but they just <clears throat> came out of nowhere surprised a lot of people and ended up being you know a team that was exciting um you know all year long like i hope that a team like that emerges maybe multiple teams like that um it'll be interesting i you know i I just, uh, I hope that, I hope that, uh, you know, the whole Astros paranoia stories of, you know, team X, Y, and Z they're they're now they're cheating. It's like, you know, the, the, I think the whole like cheating scandal, it was, it was interesting. It was compelling for the off season because it kept us talking about baseball, it kept all of us talking about baseball when there was no baseball being played. But once the season starts, like I, I'm just ready to get back to baseball. Yeah, same here. Well, we're almost there. End of January. We're getting, we're getting closer um, to pitchers and catchers reporting. Um, Jared, this has been great. I appreciate your time tonight. Um, what can we check out from you this week on all the podcasts that you're on and everywhere you write? Yeah, I mean, we have uh, <clears throat> Trevor Bauer, Christian Yelich's uh, California Strong Charity Celebrity Softball Game. Uh, we we put a, out a photo break. So, you know, all the celebrities are making it's me talking trash to Giancarlo Stanton, Cody Bellinger, Christian Yelich, Camille Kostick, uh, Mike Moustakis, Jared Goff. I mean, you name it, they were there. It was a great time. It was a great event. So, check out that video. All right, go do that. Jared, thank you so much, and we'll have to do this again soon. Absolutely. I really appreciate it. All right, that'll do it for today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. Thank you uh, to the wonderful guests for coming on today's show. Thank you uh, to my wonderful listeners for listening to today's episode. Uh, I greatly appreciate it. Um, If you like today's episode, leave a five-star rating and a review on Apple. It would be great. Um, it helps the show continue to grow and I would very much appreciate it. Uh, you can also support the show on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash chase Thomas writer. Um, for as little as $5 a month, it helps the show keep the lights on. So that would be a great help to me as well. Uh, you can also follow me on Twitter at chase underscore Thomas. You could go to chase Thomas podcast.com, which has all of my stuff, all my episodes ever, um, links to everything that you need. Um, and all of my writing that uh, I'm doing fairly often these days um, on the NFL, on NBA, on college football, on pro wrestling. I write about everything. I write a lot. Um, So go read me on that front. So if you're not tired of listening to me, you can also read me. Um, So that's awesome. But uh, I think that's enough self-promotion from me for one episode. Uh, I hope you continue listening. That would be great. And uh, I will talk to you all again very soon. Thanks, guys. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.
Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G. Because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Rootmetrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.